With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the sweet sounds of the After Movie Diner. Support us at P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash After Movie Diner. Or I'll punch you in the teats. Rate and review us on iTunes, Earthling. And now, here's your host, John Cross. Hello, Chief. How you doing, mate? I'm all right, man. How are you? Oh, Jesus. I, I just sat through too much sun, so... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 how I feel. Yeah, what, what a unique feeling wow. it is to watch that movie <laughs> and not have the and not have the luxury of being able to press stop or walk out of the cinema. Right. Well, I mean, not that this was presumably ever at the cinema. What what's what's incredible is that essentially this is the closest the listeners will get to us commenting almost immediately because you just finished the movie and I finished it about forty five minutes ago. Well, we, yeah. I mean, normally we. Um, well, normally you're still watching the movie because you, you know, you like well, to make. Well, normally we, you know, uh, I mean, not that it'll happen for a long time, but you know, usually we've just walked out of a movie, haven't we? Right. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. But the, the closest in the virtual oh. realm is what I mean. Since since doing it, uh, you know, via Skype, uh, this is the closest we've got to immediacy. You know, I've never done it via Skype. <laughs> Sorry. This is the closest we've got to immediacy. Yeah, immediate to yeah, immediacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is work. this is basically yeah. our equivalent of a reaction video. You know what I mean? Which we should start yeah. doing on it's YouTube. A long, wordy, <laughs> uh, pointless reaction video. That's what we are, mate. The thing is, if we made a YouTube reaction video to the movie Too Much Sun, it would just be you and me with our jaws very slack. Looking aghast into the middle distance and wondering what we've done with our lives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's yeah, so that's probably about fair. Yeah, that feels about right. It would either that or both of us wearing uh, drive-like white wife beater vests, like Ryan Gosling, and just staring out of windows. Uh, and and yeah, we might get paid to do that, though, man. That's very fashionable. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the after movie, di- I mean, that, that could be a thing. I mean, I'm sure someone already does it, but, um, you know, existential ennui reaction video. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I bet they do. I bet somewhere they must be right. The despair of, the despair of humanity reaction videos. So in other words, I, you know, I just, I just watched the latest, uh, Marvel film. <sighs> oh. That made me, 
that yeah. made me want to die. Yeah. Um, anyway, how, how have you been? How's your week been? Uh, long, um, exhausting. Uh, I think that's it. Okay, uh, that's enough of that. I mean, this is what I mean about like the 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 angst of of us and what our YouTube videos feel. Like. <laughs> yeah. it would just be us trying to hold our heads up without yeah just trying to keep it together yeah without falling falling massively apart um yeah. well on on top of uh, the end of last week where i i interviewed robert wool which you can hear right. uh, both on right. the last episode of the diner and on booth talk and the reason why i did that for people are like oh why is he putting it out twice i'll tell you why it's because a lot of I people think if people ask you a question any question yeah. online anyway you'd just be grateful <laughs> well, i don't think no one's asked <laughs> me that really annoyed it was like i what i don't understand about the diner is you go yeah. great they're talking to me well well two things first of all i thought it would get people listening to the missing pieces episode because it's always hard to do get people listening to a movie that no one's ever heard of even though we had a good time good time with it um outside of our regular you know uh united force of listeners that our regular you know come rain come shine come eric idol outrageously bad film season or not they'll listen to yeah. anything. I don't think we're going to bring, please tell me we're not going to bring back the outrageously bad Eric Idle season. No, never again. <laughs> never again. But no, the reason why I, I, don't want, I don't ever want to do an outrageously bad film season ever. Like, pandemic life yeah. has already shaved so much. It's already stolen so much joy from me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. The, the, the few moments that I get, I don't want to piss up against the wall of Eric Idle's. Um, <laughs> terrible agent i guess right like, there's got to be some reason yeah. why he was in this um but the reason why i put robert wool uh in, Sorry. Yes. in the episode last week is first of all i thought it would get people listening to the missing pieces podcast Did it? But, but secondly uh i haven't checked and i don't care and secondly <laughs> But secondly, I don't know that everyone realizes that when I do interviews, I post them on a separate podcast feed. The you booth post talk. them on a separate podcast feed. What's the, what's that called? The booth talk from the booth afternoon. Talk. Done, yeah. What are other good examples of interviews that people could find in this booth talk? Uh, well, uh, you could listen to an interview with, for example, Joe Bob Briggs, the renowned cult movie He's commentator. Very That's the kind of a name that would get a listener's ears pricking up right away. <laughs> do you have another example? I do have another example. What about world-renowned martial artist Scott Atkins? It's not not Scott Atkins, the uh, world-renowned martial artist. Yes, he has been wow. on not once but twice. And twice. The you reason- have two. Would you recommend a particular Scott Atkins episode? Uh, probably the first one. Probably the first one. Uh, but yeah, the second one, like, the second one recently. That's sec- what I would go with. Adkins is famous Adkins. for being entertaining in chronological order. What about the fact that we have interviewed renowned character actor William Sadler twice? The first time we interviewed him, he was in a Marvel movie as the president and in the latest Robert Rodriguez joint. And then last year when I interviewed him, he was in VFW, the big cult film of the year, and he was in the Bill and Ted uh, uh, sequel. Is that that William Sadler, renowned poetry fan? Yeah, renowned uh, poetry fan, William Sadler, who now officially owns a copy of your book, mate. 
He does. He does. He may never read it, but he owns it. Listen, I reached out to my my buddy Bill, my friend Bill. Bill yeah, uh, Billy, I reached yeah, old, Bill. old Billy Saddles, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I reached out. <laughs> I reached out to old Billy Saddles. And uh, I said, uh, listen, my friend was awfully chuffed that you liked my post about his poetry. Uh, I was as well. That's no no exaggeration. Chuffed is underplaying. Chuffed is underplaying the level of chuffedness that you felt. Um, Exactly. The level of jollity and and, uh, pride that that swelled in your bosom. Yeah, pride. Yeah. Pride is probably yeah, pride is pretty good, and it, and and I have to say, listeners, uh, for, for an Englishman such as Jim to express any kind of pride is is a leap uh, of mag of of large proportions. It's it is, it's, yeah, yeah. it's it's equivalent of Superman leaping a building in a single bound. An Englishman showing a goose fart's worth of pride <laughs> is, you know, it is own work. It is own you work. You probably have to move. To America and live there for ten years before it's even possible. <laughs> before it's even remotely possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, so I, I, I contacted Billy Saddles and I said, "Do you want a copy of his book?" And uh, because you liked the the post, and he was like, "That that would be lovely." I'm not giving you my address, but that would be lovely. Uh, he said, uh, "Please send it to my agent, and he'll send it to me." So which uh, I did. I did yeah. do that thing. Which makes sense. I mean, listen. No, of course, yeah. I wouldn't expect that. Because what would happen is I'd be driving through upstate New York, where I think he lives, and uh, I would be like, oh, Kim, my friend William Saddle lives nearby. Let's just drop in and say hello. And then I would show up and he'd be like, who the fuck are you? Get off my property and probably have me sh- have me shot or, or something, which yeah. would be a perfectly uh, reasonable... Also, what a way to go. What an end to the obituary that would be. Indeed. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, uh, to go back, uh, podcast feed booth talk. If you, uh, if you subscribe to, uh, After Movie Diner on either Spreaker or Apple Podcasts, booth talk is there in the suggested, if you like this, you would also like this. And the interviews come thick and fast. Surprise interviews with Peter Weller. Peter Bruce Weller. Daniel, wait, wait, Ryan. is that, wait, is that? Robocop and Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Through the Eighth Dimension, Peter Weller. The very same. Wow. Also noted um, golf fan. And, and jazz and musician. Who, it takes quite a long time to pry him away from the golf to talk about other things. <laughs> and jazz but musician. But when he does, he, you know, he's cooking on gas. He is cooking on gas. What, a, what about, and, and considering they have become something of the uh, uh, something uh, of a darling of the uh, indie music scene during the pandemic. What about uh, lead singer and renowned poet of the Mountain Goats, uh, John Darnell, uh, talking what, about his cool. favourite slasher uh, films? Yeah, of, the, of of all your interviews, the favourite slasher films of John Darnell is the one that I still don't understand why everybody doesn't listen to that, why that isn't literally everywhere. I don't right. get it. It's so interesting and entertaining. Yeah, and also he talks about taking his kid to see Spider-Man uh, in the multiverse, which I'd only just seen myself, and it was a pleasure to hear him talk about like the joys of showing his kid something creative and inventive and weird. So listen to that. Uh, but anyway, for people who don't know, there is a really good interview podcast out there, uh, and it's called Booth Talk, and it is really good, and I take pride in it. And coming up on that very show 
the the obviously the full interview with Robert Wall is already out there, but we have Keith Coogan from Toy Soldiers, uh, Don't Tell Mum the Babysitter's Dead, and Adventures in Babysitting. He's big on babysitting. He's big on babysitting. Yeah. He's a big. Yeah, if you're making a babysitter movie in the eighties, Keith uh, Coogan. He's he's your guy. Call up the old old Keithy Coogs. Um, so he'll be coming on the show, uh, but that's not all. What? That's not all. I hear you cry. What about no, that, that other? That, no, I'm sorry. That must be all. No. What? What I can't about believe, that? That how other? Could that not be all. No, it's not all. How about that other renowned '80s superstar? And I do not use that word lightly. Back to back hits. Steve Gutenberg's on the show. Steve Gutenberg. Not, not, not Stevie Goots. <laughs> the Stevie Goots is is on Booth Talk from After Movie Diner. The you do, Stevie you Goots. You can go in there and actually like look down the people you've interviewed. It's an incredibly impressive roster. It's a very good list. There's obviously uh, going to be a few names for everybody who are like, right. wait, who's that? But then when you find out who it is, it's, it's just a good entertaining. But there's some big, really interesting names in there. Don't you have, um, you've got, um, what's his face? Um... Ironside, right? Don't you've got Michael Ironside? Ironside. Michael Ironside, R- renowned um, villain, what, what and that, uh, bloke from um, Halloween Three. What's his name? Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. Yeah, we got so, him. What about the uh, fucking um, who's the director? You know the full. Uh, he doesn't have the full moon. Charles Band. Charles Band. Charles Band. Charles yeah. Band. Uh, so yeah, I've interviewed Charles Band. Oh, uh, um, the bloke, my uh, one of my favourite. Um, Director, uh, director of Sudden Death and uh, Peter Hyams Peter Hyams yes Peter Hyams although I don't I think Peter Hyams is still part of the After Movie Diner podcast stream I have not moved his into I've not separated out his interview and moved it over to the Booth Talk uh, stream okay. yet he was a good one but, but I, I should do that was a good interview the Hyams one. Uh, but yeah uh, how about Scott Spiegel a close personal friend of Quentin Tarantino who I geek out with over Pam Greer that's a classic episode, Scott Spiegel. It's incredible. Uh, obviously, you've got all the Evil Dead people. I've, I've interviewed literally everyone right. from the Evil Dead. Uh, yep. Bruce Campbell, uh, Ted Raimi, uh, Ray Santiago, and Dana DiLorenzo from the TV series. But I've also interviewed the ladies of the Evil Dead and Hal Delrich, whose real name is Rich Domanico. So we have covered uh, almost everyone from... And weirdly... Um, although I haven't interviewed her, Denise Bixler, who shows up in Evil Dead 2, was married to Steve Gutenberg. So it's, it's all ties in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask, what, ask the Goots what he reckons about Evil Dead 2, what, yeah. what his feeling is. But I tell you what, maybe you're an action fan. Maybe you're an action fan. What, what about Don the Dragon Wilson? Cynthia Rothrock? Yeah, what about... All the greats, mate. All what? the greats. All, all the, the greats. greats. Fred the Hammer Williamson, you know? The, the composer of some, the composer of all the Fast and Furious movies, music, uh, and uh, two Marvel movies, and a bunch of other ones, Brian Tyler had him on the show. He was he, great. He was a good one. He did the Universal when Universal turned a hundred, uh, no, turned seventy, I think. Universal turned seventy, and they wanted to redo their logo, spiff it up a bit, and they wanted a new, uh, they wanted the same tune, but like a new orchestral arrangement of it. Brian Tyler did that. Spoke to him all about it. Very cool. Very cool. uh, William Sadler, not the only actor to have starred in a Marvel movie that I've interviewed. What about Ray Stevenson? Ray Stevenson, the Punisher. Uh, Ray Stevenson. Didn't talk to him after. What is it? uh, Is it it Fair Game? Is that what it's called? Big Game. Big Game. Big Game. The Samuel L. Jackson, which is that was a fun movie. I enjoyed. Yeah, we also talked to the director of that. But anyway. Uh, 
further excitement coming up after Steve okay. Gutenberg. You're like, how much more exciting could it Wait, be? I'm sorry. Steve I don't think Gutenberg. I can actually handle any more excitement. I may, <laughs> I may have to ask you to stop. Um, well, uh, the 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 indie Christmas gritty crime action hit uh, that everyone's talking about, starring Mel Gibson, Fat Man, uh, that came out over the winter. Great movie, by the way. Absolutely fantastic movie. I just interviewed the directors of that film. Boom. Coming up oh, soon. Very nice. Very Ian, nice. Ian and Esham Nelms, uh, which will be coming up. They also directed Small Town Crime, uh, which gives John Hawkes a rare leading man role. And that is also really oh, good. That's on Netflix, right? Isn't that on it Netflix? was on Netflix. It's no longer on Netflix. But it's available oh. to rent wherever you rent stuff. Okay. And it's super cheap. But uh, Robert Forster in that movie. Uh, amazing. Robert Forster will have you laughing all the way through that movie. Uh, just fantastic. Back to back. Small Town Crime and Fat Man. Two great movies that I cannot recommend enough for their weirdly dark humor, their interesting satire, and just their like slightly left of center sensibilities. All the while making a talky but pacey indie crime drama. So can I ask you a question? Yes. What would the exact opposite of that movie be? The exact opposite of what movie? The one you just described. You know, Small it was Town Crime or... No, no, no. The one you just... Uh, Fat Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you said it was it was interesting and funny and, you know, off kilter. So I'm just wondering, is there anything that's, like, boring and unfunny? <laughs> and, and, not, and not satirical, even though it and thinks it is. And not satirical, despite the fact that it thinks it is. Yes. You know what I mean? That like, would is there, be... Is there oh, a film out there like that? It's that very clever. About, it's maybe? very clever that you're bringing it back around to uh, this week's choice on the <laughs> After Movie Diner for the Eric Idol's Outrageously Bad Film Season too much sun. Well, it's the outrageously bad Eric Idle film season. Yeah, it's the outrageously bad Eric Idle film season. And in typical idle fashion, I thought I'd start it with a song. Nobody asked me to, but I need to make more references to penises and dongs. And some thinly veiled innuendos about tits that some passes for wit and ingratiates me with the LA set who are quick to embrace me and quick to forget that I've made some truly outrageously bad films for some reason well here's the after movie diner back to remind you with the outrageously bad Eric Idle film season it's the outrageously bad Eric Idle film season it's the outrageously bad Eric Idle film season outrageously side of life except during the outrageously bad Eric Idle film season and this song has gone on far too long without mentioning my dong oh something like that anyway boobs we've got an email from Andy Lunn we've got an email from Andy Lunn we've got an email from Andy Lunn I'm not singing the whole song he writes Hi, fellas. You see, hi, fellas. You, you've, you've been oh, incoming incorporated now. You're part of the whole crew. You were last time and you are this time. Great, oh, yeah, great episode on a movie that I'm now genuinely intrigued to see. Uh, missing pieces. Uh, okay. The wool. In- a minute. He meant splitting airs. No. Uh, the wool interview, too, was excellent.
excellent. Uh, well, that, that that does not surprise me. That does not that surprise you. Surprise me. Um, and 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 just Tell just me something I don't know, Andy Lamb. Just just to repeat something that I've said on I've said to Andy on Facebook about three times. No one pulls the wool over your eyes. <laughs> oh, it's Wait, a rob. It. It's a I rob. Get it. You don't get it. No, it's a it's a Robert Wool pun. Uh, many years. Oh, yeah. I thought I was looking for the Andy Lamb pun. No. No, it's a Robert Wool pun. Nobody pulls the wool over Robert's. Oh, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Anyway, Andy goes on to say, many years ago, I used to regularly get wool mixed up with Liv Schreiber. What an idiot I was back then. Yeah, that's weird. I don't quite understand how one would confuse the two, but okay, I'm willing to go with it. I guess I look a bit similar. So Andy's going to be very disappointed because his next sentence begins... Am I correct in recalling that Nuns on the Run is this week's treat? Uh, If so, I do look forward to hearing you discuss it. It was bad enough in the early 90s. I cannot imagine what the ravages of time has done to it. So I like Nuns on the Run, and I don't think I'm going to change my mind. Okay, so quick, quick thing. In order to end the Eric Idle outrageously bad film season and try and redeem it a little bit, are we doing Nuns on the Run next week or aren't we? Because it was was a possible, but we weren't sure. I, I, can, I, I have I we feel had like, too much idle. I just feel like I've had enough idle. Yeah, and I don't too. really want to spend an entire podcast dancing around like, is it a good idea for them to dress up as women in play for laughs or not? Which is all we'd end up talking about. And I think that would be super boring. So I think I'd rather just leave it. Okay, so Andy goes on to say, I agree with you, by the way, uh, I cannot imagine what the ravages of time have done to it. What I do recall is that it was one of the early UK 12 certificates, although 15 on video, as that was how it were, as, uh, as that was how it worked at the time. Wikipedia tells me that despite the introduction of the 12A in 2002, Nuns on the Run still remains a 15 on home media. Uh, what this meant back in 1990 was that if you were 12 years old, you could go and see about a minute's worth of tits up on the big screen in the infamous shower sequence, providing you were willing to sit through 88 shitty minutes as a trade-off. I'm sure there are many 40-somethings with that memory, (coughs) sorry, memory to this day. Anyhow, if it turns out that you're not watching Nuns this week... And then I apologise for the rambling. Before I go on, I must answer your previous question about if I ever listen to your show in my shed. The answer to that is, almost. <laughs> Early last year, we replaced our shed. Wow. Oh, this is, this, we, we are getting... Look, I want people to send me shed anecdotes. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, it used to be on the right-hand side of the garden and was there when we moved in. I never liked it there as that area got the most sunshine. Therefore, when we finally replaced it, after it had been there for at least a good 16 years, we put the new one at the bottom of the garden and I set about sowing grass seed where the old shed used to be. This meant that when it came to sleazy spade of springtime, I was able to sit out and listen to the show and catch some rays on the spot of our former shed. Does that qualify? All right, no, yeah, that's. I think that's acceptable. Like it's, you know, the spirit of the shed. The spirit of the sixteen-year-old shed, uh, Andy. That is a joy. Uh, that is a wonder. I, I tell can... us, tell us about your shed or near shed experiences. Yes, I would <laughs> like to put a call out right now. Uh, to everyone, uh, I want shared anecdotes. They can be after movie diner related or not, but please send us your shared anecdotes. We, yeah, it's it's impossible to bore us with shared <laughs> with anecdotes. A, with if there's a shed, shed in it, 
We yeah. want to hear it. We do. We want to hear a shared anecdote. So please, please do uh, send us uh, all of your shared anecdotes. And Andy, um, uh, I will, I think for sending us a shared anecdote, uh, I will have to figure out some kind of prize. Maybe we send him an after movie diner mug or something. Sure. Yeah, why don't we do that? So, all Andy, right. tell us your mug size and we'll send you an after movie <laughs> diner mug. Uh, anyone who has a shared anecdote, please send it to hello, hello at aftermoviediner.com. Just one hello. Hello at aftermoviediner.com or aftermoviediner at gmail.com. Or uh, you can call us at 347-669-0053 and leave us a voicemail. That's 347-669-0053 and leave us a voicemail. Or go over to speakpipe.com forward slash aftermoviediner. Any which way you want to do it, we don't mind. Send us your shared anecdotes. It's all about the sheds, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And uh, thank you ever so much, Andy Lund. Well, how about that? A shed-adjacent uh, listening, what do you think? A ne- yeah, a near shed experience, <laughs> and not a shared experience, yeah. but a shed experience. A shed. Yeah, I have yeah. to say the the image of uh, uh, Andy Lunn uh, lying out on the the now Basking. the now you know the now uh, in the as, sun as we, like, as we like tickled his earbuds, yeah. with like our disgusting James Spader. Um, the, there's, there's just something delightful about the the image of Andy Lunn on a on a brisk uh, a, a late spring day listening to James Spader in his now sunny Probably patch of summer. Garden. By the time we get around to the sleepy spring time, it's true. usually summer. By the way, uh, we have one we have one last comment before we get into this movie. And, uh, yeah, this this uh, was a new review, a new five star review. Whoa! Uh, on, on, we haven't uh, had a review yeah. since. Obama. We had, well, no, we had a review July of last year. Oh, okay. But before then, it was two years ago. Um, but what was yes, that review from July of last year. Uh, that was. Don't tell me about the reviews. <laughs> That was from Matt, who runs the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur, and he said, this podcast is always a lot of fun, whether it's Sleazy Spader or Ninja Vember or just a one-off show any other time of the year. I'm always entertained and always look forward to it. Um, But this time around, the the caption (laughs) is, Jim is a wild man. Yay! We got the review! Um, It says this, The main host, John Cross, is fairly witty and brings a moderate amount of style and personality to this show. However, his co-host, Jim, is simply just a wild man. Completely uncontrollable and can only be described as a human powder keg of ruckus and ferociousness waiting to explode at a moment's notice. Whether it's his nonsensical ramblings and wild speculation about the motives behind a director's misguided vision or his blatant disregard of john's very reasonable opinion about such matters as jim's ugly bum face wild man jim is known for invoking such remarks from john as can we please talk about this bloody movie and i'm trying to introduce (laughs) trying to introduce the bloody movie and of course i don't know why i even bother trying anymore (laughs) <laughs> like a majestic wild mustang running free through the hills and valleys of north of the northern rocky mountains jim wallace cannot be restrained by the structure and rules of everyday podcast conversation you speak and then i speak i think not wild man jim does as he pleases <laughs> 
Why? Because he knows no other way. In Webster's English Dictionary, there is a full page dedicated to the word wild man in which there are just two pictures of Jim because one isn't enough. Ancient mystical scrolls foretold of a man so wild that conventional societal guidelines pertaining to conversation would never be considered, let alone attempted. That man, Jim Wallace. More recently, the local state penitentiary dedicated its highest security cell block housing its most violent and deranged criminally insane inmates as the wild man Jim Wallace wing and finally there is an old wives tale about wild man Jim roaming the countryside becoming furious at the thought of a dish called the Dino Wellington and biting the heads off of unsuspecting restaurant employees who forgot to bring milk for his chamomile tea all of that is to say this podcast overall is good I guess. <laughs> that is that is amazing. Do we know? I, I, I do know, and I, I wonder if I want to uh, uh, tell you. You don't you have to that. tell me. You don't have to tell me. You don't want to. Uh, but if that was that. that listen, the review gauntlet has been thrown down. Uh, can anyone better that as a podcast I, yeah, review? That, I would. I would. That, that was that was brilliant. That was that was very funny. That was great, and I think I was laughing too much to really read it and give it its full. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was really good. I enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, that was that was fantastic. So look, the review gauntlet has been thrown down. We're asking yeah. for shared anecdotes, and we're asking for uh, reviews. Go over and review it. Go over and review us, you shits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you freeloading shadites. Yeah, just go do it. Um, and, and and do it on any platform. It doesn't have to be Apple. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to uh, uh, go go deep into the Apple uh, whatever. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, what am I saying, Jim? You don't have to. You don't have to. You embarked on the journey, and you hoped that it would it would go somewhere. What I mean is, you don't have to suckle at the dangerous corporate teat of Apple. By all means, find whatever. I don't know, Lou Sh- whatever Lou Shipster podcast <laughs> app you use and review us on there. I don't mind. Whatever you want to do. If there is an organic, gluten-free, grass-fed... Yeah, write, write it on an apple, yeah. jamming <laughs> over a wall. That'll do. Stick an arrow through it and fire it through my window, narrowly missing my neck. So we've put it off long enough, <laughs> sadly. Uh, the time has come to discuss Too Much Sun, a 1990s film... Uh, made by Robert Downey yeah, Senior. Yeah, marks, film yeah. loosely uh, made by Robert Downey Senior, um, who made a little bit of a splash at the end of the sixties, early seventies. Um, and and by the way, because I had forty-five minutes after Too Much Sun finished, and you were still watching it. I decided to, uh, and because it's on Amazon Prime, I decided to watch a bit of Putney Swope, which is the movie Robert Downey Sr. is so well known for. And I have to say, after watching 40 minutes of it, the man has not come far. Um, (laughs) Considering uh, considering the... um, you know, the African-American filmmaking explosion that would happen at the end of the 60s and early 70s and the incredibly vital and important African-American filmmakers um, who would, through genre film, tackle, uh, you know, their their culture and their society. Um, it's 
as if anything could get more offensive than Too Much Sun. It's almost offensive that a movie like Putney Swope, written and directed by a white guy, not that that should matter, but it's it's so I, it's all about a black guy who takes over a marketing uh, agency, um, and, and I and I get it. I'm sure in 1969 it was you know hip or whatever, and you know I really really hope that obviously the African American cast in the movie had something to say about the script, and it wasn't all just Robert Downey Sr. trying to uh, get them to say his words. But it does feel watching the first 40 minutes of it weirdly like that and therefore considering like i say some great african-american filmmakers were about to make really relevant movies that have sadly now been um tarnished with this whole idea of being genre film and therefore uh not important to have something like putney swope in the you know american film archives and and uh remastered by the george lucas foundation and blah 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 and heralded as this great art classic is I don't know, faintly uh, uh, disappointing and and not a little racist. Anyway, um, that's just my take on it. Maybe it's a 2021, you know, hip, looking back kind of take on it. But I would say don't bother watching Putney Swope. Uh, Go and pick up any, literally any movie made by an African-American filmmaker, either from the 70s or the 90s. Can I just jump on that too and say, and don't bother watching Too Much Sun, go and uh, rent literally any other movie. Yeah, no, that's true as well. Don't if anybody bother anywhere too much has ever made yeah. a movie about anything, yeah. watch that. Apart from Too Much Sun. So jump forward uh, uh, 30, not even 30 years, not even 30 years, 20 years um, from his so-called classic Putney Swope about an African-American who gets a position of power in a marketing agency on on Madison Avenue uh, to this movie, which is uh, literally the worst attempt at farce that I've ever seen. Like, what's incredible is, and we've talked about Carry On during this season before, um... But there are something like 30 carry-on movies or whatever there are. And like them or hate them, they at least understand the basic principles of farce. This one... Do you mean like having a joke about a bloke with a toupee and then casting a bloke with a toupee as a bloke... As opposed to a bloke who's bald? No, but... but, Oh, right, yes. Yeah, he casts... Well, that's the joke, isn't it? That he's not wearing a... Is that the joke? Because they keep making... It feels like... They kept a joke in the script, right? And then forgot that they cast a bloke who doesn't have a toupee on because they keep making jokes about his toupee as if he's wearing one, yeah. and he's not wearing one. He's I not wearing understand one. It. Well, it's it's comedy, Jim. It's highbrow. It's art. <laughs> it's art. But, but am I wrong though? Because it no, does you're not wrong. Like it's horseshit. They just forgot to change the script, and that feels like that level of just sort of pointless laziness. Yeah. It's not even like. I'm all for laziness. No, I, I mean? think based laziness. on based on the fact that there's a running joke in this movie that Ralph Macchio is tied to a chair and then for the rest of the movie is never released from the chair, nor does anyone say, can we help you or untie you from the chair, I'm going to assume that the whole running gag about the toupee, non-toupee thing was intended to be I in there. It can't be. It can't be because when it starts, they're like, they're joking about like you'll be pissing out of your toupee or whatever. It's like that's weird. He doesn't have a toupee, but I let it go. It was well, also like, weird to the, say the, that he'd be pissing out of his toupee. toupee. Wasn't the punchline? The punchline was, oh, it's a really obscene um, insult that yeah. then later on gets used by another character to prove that they're related, even though that's not how genetics works. But okay, 
Well, um, I think I think you're looking very deeply into this movie well, yeah, if you think that, that that's it's quite whatever. And then later on, there's like another joke about a, a toupee, and the toupee is the punchline. But again, it's it's not. It's supposed to be like ridiculing the guy, right? Or pointing out he has a toupee. And I know about the chair thing, but again, the chair thing is like, should we just leave him tied to the chair? And the director thought yes, because that would be funny, even though. He shouldn't be allowed to make those decisions. But he shouldn't be allowed to make any decisions. He shouldn't be allowed to make any movies. Uh, the the <laughs> the only thing you can say about Robbie da- Robert Downey Sr. is he was a part of the creation of Robert Downey Jr. That's about all you can say about Robert Downey Sr. And again, look, um, if I I have seen this movie and Forty Minutes of Putney Swope, so uh, if that's enough for you to be like, but you don't understand Robert Downey Senior, then by all means point me towards something that isn't awful. Um, but uh, considering I looked up a review of Too Much Sun, and in the review it points out just how bad and outdated and shitty his early movies are so we shouldn't be surprised about too much sun i'm clearly not the only person who's not that impressed with his early films although punty swope i have heard gets banded around a lot by like you know film fans who are like oh yeah i know punty swope it's like um uh, eating raul as well that's another one of those like uh, and and I like eat, eating Raoul. It's the Paul Bartel movie, but it's one of those that like hipster film students like to go like, oh yeah, like Putney Swope and eating Raoul. Like, oh my god, the the satirical darkness and intrinsic comedy and fucking you know, it's all that bullshit. Um, I, I've got no time for it. Uh, so Jim, do you want to run down uh, the plot of this movie just because I've oh, talked Jesus a lot? Fucking Christ, do I have to? Okay, you do so- just very quickly because then that way we can kind of jump into the little bits that are really bad and then move on to other things. Okay, fair enough. Um, so the, the plot is... Um, okay, let me, try and, let me try and get this right. Um, the plot is that um, a rich man has two kids, a son and a daughter. One's a lesbian and one's gay. And, well, they're both gay. Um, and uh, for the, uh, he's in deep with the church... The church makes him alter his will. Um, they could have altered his will so that he would leave all the money to the church, but that would mean the film would be over, which <laughs> in itself is a good thing. But instead, they alter the will so that he has, so that one of his gay children has to produce an heir inside 12 months, which, by the way, then is completely forgotten about because the rest of the movie is like, we've only got three minutes to get a baby. There's like a really weird... Right? Like a really weird, um, like, oh, my God, we're running out of time. He said 12 months last week. Well, well, it does, ta- it does take nine months to have a baby, so... No, no, I understand that. I'm just saying, but the rest of the movie is like, oh, my God, we've got to sort this out soon or else the church gets the money, right. and it's only a week later. So, anyway, that's bullshit. Yeah. So then, it's basically, Eric Idle tries to have sex with straight women and get them pregnant, which he sort of does and then sort of doesn't, and that doesn't really go anywhere. And then... Well, he tries, apparently fails, yet in the ending credits is revealed that he actually succeeded, which is, again, a joke that doesn't work at all. But anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah well, there's, there's, there's a lot of, like... Um, there's a lot of... Um, most of the plot is... Um, the, 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 main, the main central plot, I guess, is while Idol's doing that, which is... He's, a, he's got a very tiny role in it, really. Um, most of the plot is the daughter... Um, is trying to track down a son that she had with some guy 
even though it's kind of implied that he that the father depicted in the film is not really the father because the son doesn't seem to know either of them. Um, well, he, and he, he was given uh, up for adoption and he is the father because they get the, the father, they get okay. well, they get the blood test that says it's a match. And then the priest tears up that blood test and shows a fake one. No, he gets it. No, 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 no. You're wrong. Cause that's another like point. Dude, he gets point. a blood test and in no, the no, car, no, no, I'm telling you, unru- he gets a blood test that's negative. And then, and he's like, oh, great. I just have to. So then he drives the father to the wedding and says, I'll pay you $50 no, to no, like, no, disown the woman. No, because um, he's convinced that they're not really the son. And then while they're sitting in the car, some dude drives by with an envelope that says, like, redacted or something, actually, which is basically, oh, we were wrong. Actually, it is a positive blood test. And no, that's- no, no, that's not what happened. Uh, earlier in the movie, he says, um, he says that the the blood is not a match, and he tells um, the woman played by um, Andrea Martin um, that it's not a match, and that we had him blood tested and not a match. But the but the truth is that he hasn't got the blood test yet. And then the cyclist drives by with the blood test. When he opens it up, it says it, it doesn't say redacted. It says um, uh, it doesn't say it's a match. It says. Um, but I mean, it says it's a match, but it's there's a word on it that's like. But but it is a match, and I'm he sure goes. This wrong. is no, this is some kind of bullshit. He tears sure it up, wrong, but I don't care enough to argue because you could well be right. But either way, it's a complete pointless nonsense. And then um, eventually, uh, and yeah, as you point out, like it turns out that um, that the the kid Frank De La Rocca Junior, who's played by the karate kid ralph macho inmate who is robert downey jr doing probably the most annoying performance ever. of anybody ever it's yeah. indescribably irritating yeah because it's like comedy english accents are funny if i do a comedy english accent throughout the whole film that in it i don't have to make any jokes i just have to gurn and do a comedy english accent all the way through and now it's like you know, like someone really annoying at a party yeah. who was once told, like maybe early on in the evening, that something they were doing was funny. And so all they do is that thing over and over and over and over again until you want them to die. Yeah. That's Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. Yeah. And so, anyway, so- he turns out to be Eric Idle's son. And then Eric Idle goes around writing checks for like $75 million, even though I think they've only got 200 is the fortune. So I, I don't know what's going on. But... Um, it's awful. He's barely in it. He's um, not bad. Okay, so so all right. He, he it, barely in it. He's he's in it all the way through, right? I agree. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He's in it all the way through. I agree that there are some subplots to do. I, they give him hardly anything. Nobody to do. has nobody so has anything to do, and no, he does nothing with it. Nobody has anything to do. Like well, none true. none of the well, plots, except, the, except the, the daughter, who is a, also wildly irritating, and even the priest, right? Like I know villains are supposed to be unlikable, but I didn't like him. At like like a, like I don't like you as an actor. I don't even know. Like, yeah. Forget I, the character. I don't like I don't you as a human you being. You might be lovely, but as a human being, as a person who has turned up and is acting on the screen, which I recognise is what's going on. Like I recognise the reality of the situation. I think you're not really a priest trying to scuffle their plan. You're an actor, but I don't like you. I don't, I don't like, like anything about you. As an actor. I didn't, I didn't like anything about the movie. Is, is you know is garbage and annoying, and your character is garbage and annoying. But 
underneath all of that annoying garbage, I suspect is somebody who I actually don't like, which so, is a really weird experience. Uh, much as in Putney Swope, uh, uh, Robert Downey uh, Sr. is trying to say, well, I know about the black experience. In this one, he's trying to say uh, he knows about the gay experience. It's um, Now, I, I have to say, like, Yes, it's horribly offensive. Yes, it's horribly stereotyped. It is a lot less like um, it's it's a mm. lot less. It's a lot less than I was expecting. I was yeah, literally I mean, expecting when, Leo yeah, Rossi. But, oh, right, right at the beginning, right at the beginning, when the, um, the what's his face, the bad guy says, um, "My son is the most masculine thing ever," and then it cuts to idol. I was honestly dreading what was about to happen. Yeah, but, no, I was assuming that him and also it's such weird casting. <laughs> him eric idol and leo rossi now n- not a lot of people are going to necessarily know that name but leo i know that name because he's been in a lot of bill lustig movies and i'm a fan of bill lustig so uh maniac cop and um relentless and various other all, all the bill lustig movies he crops up somewhere along the line he, he's also sort of uh, normally plays like an italian american heavy and that doesn't mean that, like, you shouldn't cast him as a, I don't know, sensitive gay boyfriend. Um, but it, it's very odd that you would be like, I don't know, what? I guess it got to 1989 and Robert Downey Sr. looked around and was like, what celebrity friends do I have left? Uh, they've all kind of abandoned me because I'm awful. Um, is what I'm assuming. And he's like, well, I'll, I'll put my son in uh, the movie. Uh, his uh, Robert Downey Jr., I imagine, put the call out to all his Brat Pack f- friends, all of whom said no, except Ralph Macchio. <laughs> who was he, was, are who, they Brat Pack friends? Well, I, I don't know if they've ever been in a movie together before this, but Ralph Macchio is obviously known for uh, Crossroads and The Karate Kid, after which he's not known for much else until Cobra Kai. So I've got to imagine that... Um, after the the crossroads and the Karate Kid uh, uh, money either dried up or, or Hollywood uh, stopped calling, that uh, he agreed to be in this um, based on you know Robert Downey Jr. knows them all because he kind of hung out with them all in different ways. So, but I imagine he called up Anthony Michael Hall and he was like no, and he called up Judd Nelson. <laughs> Judd Nelson was like no, and he called up Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez was no. He was like oh, I'm getting really thin in my little book of you know annoying teen actors uh here we go ralph macchio <laughs> macchio's like will you pay for dinner and he said yes and macchio showed up him and his mullet um to flounce yeah, around the place yeah, but, right. um but yeah eric Hoyle and leo rossi as a gay couple thankfully didn't spend the whole movie being like you know ooh, mummy whoops limp-wristing, you know, craziness. I, I, I don't know that anything that I just said made any sense. But no, I know what you mean. You mean, like... Um, he, they the, weren't outrageously the camp stereotypes. Like, gay caricature that we were both expecting, given the plot of the movie. And there are moments of it, like Idol wearing that leopard skin robe and um, uh, later on them both wearing black leather you know, stereotypical kind of um, right. uh, YMCA, uh, you know, studded black leather cap kind of um, 
the Blue Oyster from um, Police Academy type thing. But that kind of get up, which again is a little just like, oh, for fuck's sake, give it a rest. I'm not going to say that it's in any way a sensitive portrayal of gay people, um, and I'm not suggesting it's anyone not watch horribly it. horribly insensitive as we might have expected. No. The whole movie itself is drowning in a sea of lazy incompetence and, and, and badness. But it was. Well, there's a horrible, um, horrible, like a horrible AIDS joke in it, which was just not. I don't even know that it's a joke. It's not even an AIDS joke. It's an AIDS acknowledgement that still shouldn't be in a movie made by a bunch of straight white people. Um, it, it's. And also, especially this coming in 1990, literally at the height of the. Not maybe at the height, but t- certainly towards the. The, the back end of the AIDS epidemic that, you know, had destroyed a, a third of New York. So, and, and and other places as well. So to even even go like, oh, should we make an AIDS joke in 1990? Like, no, like, no. And it's not that you're breaking taboos and being clever. And this is some kind of like, you know, artistic mouthpiece or whatever. That's horseshit. Like, if that makes you sleep at night, Robert Downey Sr., fine. But that's not what you're doing. You're like, oh, isn't it funny that everyone has to carry around, you know, uh, AIDS clear um identity cards and you're like no that's not funny because like you know thousands of people died of a horrible disease um so there's there's nothing funny about it it basically what what robert downey senior was like was let's make a farce what do we need for a farce well i know let's have some gay people let's have a priest let's have a wealthy guy let's have a couple of people who live on a trailer park who are trying to sell land in you know uh, um, russia and and that, that was and a joke places. that rubbed up the wrong way as well i was like oh we're selling real estate in chernobyl is chernobyl's funny no um no. let's have you know the drunk uh, ex-husband, or not not ex-husband, but ex-partner of the daughter. Um, you know, show up and be like drunk and shambolic at the wedding. Let's have it all move towards a wedding because for some reason they have to get married, even though that's not part of the stipulation of the will. So I didn't really understand that either. But let's oh, all that was, that was yeah that was going to listen. You have to um, produce an heir because I'm not sure if I got that right. They have to produce an heir for the church. And then you're right, a plot point emerges like, and then I'm going to marry the father so that the father will swear that the kid is legitimate. I don't I don't think that's how it works. I don't no. think you need to do that. No. That feels like a pointless, as you say, like a pointless reason to have a wedding at the end. And presumably to have like a scene at the end with those music. Now, I have a question because we've both watched a lot of movies. And also there's a lot of irritating performances in this. But my question to you is, is the most irritating thing about this the music? And is the music the most irritating music of any movie that you've ever seen? Because I think it might be. Well, it was so badly mixed into the film that I have to say it didn't really... I, it didn't even come across to me because it was so badly mixed. The only time it came across to me was when I was like, is this movie... Sorry, is this music really badly mixed into this movie? And so yes, it, really, it was. really low down in the mix for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, when I watched it, it was really high and it was really terrible and it was like obviously oh but then yeah i, I had an entirely opposite experience it was really loud and all those what the did you watch it, it really on? Che- um on amazon so did i well that's weird it was really high and super annoying and uh, terrible oh maybe i had it on a, on the wrong setting or something i don't know yeah no maybe um i mean yeah 
when I watched it, I mean, yes, the the music was awful. The music was like canned. Uh, I wouldn't even call it synthesizer, like cheap keyboard. It was literally yeah, it was like we're trying to replicate like um, like other a, things. You know, like what I mean? a like, kind of Benny Hill type. Like it was. Yeah, there was God, one was, sequence, was like a really annoying, um, like piano, like an actual piano playing like off key notes. Where the it was again, the whole thing was like that. Like I'm bucking convention, but just that that was enough. It was really clueless. Like I'm going to follow the convention up to a point. And then I'm going to buck it, and then that'll be enough. That'll be a movie. Then that that'll be uh, what do you call it? Um, countercultural. That'll be subversive. I'll be a subversive approach to a fast if I follow the convention right up until a point where I decide to buck it in an annoying way that does serves no purpose except to buck that convention, and that's it. It's fucking awful. awful. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I I don't know. Like, there's there's some idea of. Uh there's some idea, as I say, of Robert Downey Sr. as being this, you know, guy who, like, no taboo satire and, you know, putting a finger up at convention and stuff. But to be honest, this, this, is, this is my theory on, on not just him, but on satire and, um, you know, bucking conventions or whatever uh, in general. And in general... It's much more subversive to make something within a uh, within an industry that is uh, either a dark commentary or a satire or subtle or subversive or anarchistic or whatever um, than it is to be you know a dude with three dollars to rub together. Uh, being like, ha ha ha, wouldn't it be funny if, and just making a bunch of bullshit. You know, in the same way with satire, if you apply satire with a sledgehammer, it's not interesting. If you sprinkle satire throughout, if you can convince 50% of the audience that what they're watching is just a normal movie, but the other 50% get that there's like some inherent satire into it, that's far more interesting than just being like, oh my god, look how satirical we're being. Why? Oh, because of black people. Yeah, but what else? Oh, because of gay people. It's not like, that's not, it's, it's not interesting. It's not, it's not clever. It's not fascinating. And, and you know, Too Much Sun str- str- strikes me as someone who's like, behind the camera and even on camera because i think robert downey jr's performance belies this as well that like oh my god you know look how irreverent a knockabout we're being and it, and it's so the the just the just the attitude from behind the camera that yeah. pervades in this movie grates your teeth just the attitude in which this movie is made grates your teeth Get, yeah it's, it's it's made by a guy who Hasn't made a funny joke in 20 years, but everybody laughs when he tries. Do you know what I mean? Everybody laughs at his jokes that haven't been funny for 20 years. And and, and look, I I know that Robert Downey Jr. has become something of a a latter-day darling. And, and you know, I love uh, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 and a bunch of movies that he's in. You know, Chaplin is a a big favourite of of Kim's. And, you know, there there is some other stuff that, that I really liked him in. Um, and and so I, I'm not going to bash Robert Downey Jr. But the, but there is definitely an indication in this movie and in other movies of him as a kid um, where uh, 
it's it's very obvious that he was, you know, a, a spoiled and precocious and pampered little shit who probably, probably like probably and I, and I don't mean to be horrible, but prison probably did him a world of good. And I don't mean to, I just I just mean like you know, and I I don't wish that on anyone, but like you know, there's a reason why he kind of you know ran roughshod for as long as he did, um, and uh, there's a reason why a, a more humble uh, Downey Jr. now is more interesting Downey Jr. Because um, when you, especially when you look at him in this and and some others, um, you're just like, all right, I get it, but but you know, stop. Um, but this is just borderline annoying, and and there's no there's no there's no character there either. There was nothing um, being expressed, no point being made, no joke, no laugh, no nothing. Nothing was being pursued. It was just. Oh, he'll do that, and that'll be enough. That'll be funny. Yeah, and, it's, and it's not even like questioning why. It's also there's that thing of, and this normally applies to um, either. Um, it's normally applies to either art, like as in paintings or whatever, or as in sculptures or installations or whatever. But um, there's something about sort of the word surreal, which also gets sort of banded around about his movies. And, and there's certainly a, f- a couple of things in this that are attempting to be surreal that, um, that when it's surreal with no art, it's glaringly obvious that it is void of talent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So surreal is, is something you could do when you, you know, when you don't have anything, when you don't have anything else. So I will just be weird and that will be enough. That'll be surreal. It's sort of yeah. It's it's. I tell you what it is. It's like, um, it's the lazy choice of the of the unaccountable. Yeah, you know what I mean, like you don't have to be held to account. Like he, Danny Cini does not care if people review the movie well, if they watch the movie, if they, he doesn't care about any of it. He's completely unaccountable. There's like there's no effort in this movie to try and reach something or get somewhere or do anything. It's just I like making movies. I'm going to turn up make some choices when they need to be made, if they need to be made, and then I'll go home and, like, feel satisfied with myself. So, but no, no, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no, like, desperation to reach something, even if it's just to get a laugh or make a point or, or even, like, get a nice shot or capture a nice bit of performance. Like, there's no, there's no desire. There's no need. It's just there, and this is what I do. Well, and there's also no um, understanding that, yeah. of... Good farce, either. Like the whole point. You're right. It's exactly it's exactly what you're saying about this about the surreal thing. Same thing about the farce, right? It's it's what people who don't get why it's good think something silly is. Oh well, if it's silly, that's farce. If it's weird, that's surreal. It's like no, things can be silly and weird without being either of those things. So those things just you can describe those things as that, but that's it doesn't go the other way. I remember years ago um, as a kid. I I was a big Salvador Dali fan, I think, as a lot of, uh, you know, I like cartoons and I obviously grew up watching Terry Gilliam. So Salvador Dali appeals to to kids, especially when you're kind of going through that phase. And there was a uh, there was an um, exhibition of his early work um, at the Hayward, like before he started doing the the melting clocks and the flies and the stuff, Um, like when he tried to do a bunch of different art. 
and it was packaged like when you got the ticket for the for the gallery it was packaged with like a modern art exhibit there was two exhibits in the building and we were going to go see salvador dali's early stuff um but we also kind of went in and there was this exhibit of i don't know modern art new art whatever you want to call it um and i i never forget because I, I went there with my mom, so I was about 12 or 13, and mom was like, do you want to go see the, the, the other exhibit as well? And I was like, sure. We were handed a book, like a booklet, as we went into the gallery, that would explain all the pieces. And as we were walking in, mom's reading, and I'll never forget, because the first line in the pamphlet that you got about the thing was like, the exhibit starts with a hole in the wall. And it was literally like, as you look down, it, it looked like someone was still, it looked like they were still setting up the exhibit. Like there was a little corner with like a bit of, uh, like a hole with some wiring hanging out or whatever that looked like they were still finishing it. Like, you know how sometimes you go into galleries and you're like, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, oh, yeah. there's a corner of the gallery that's unfinished, they're still working on it or whatever, or a museum or whatever. But no, that was part of it, right? Then... You know, there was very stupid things like 15 fridges lassoed together with uh, bungee cord and tarpaulin and, you know, someone had taken a shit on a brick or something. And then there was like a there was a blue canvas, just like it could have been Dulux Color Emulsion. Who the fuck knew? It was just a light blue canvas that went from the bottom of the stairs to the top of the stairs as you walked up in Haywood. And there were three pages written about this uh, uh, canvas. Um, and, and the reason why that comes back into my head time and time again, but especially when I watch something like this, is the flips and twists that people will do to fall over themselves to declare something so obviously not art, art, just so that they remain relevant or just so that they you know, justify a bunch of existences or just so that they sound intelligent or just, I don't know why, but like people will do a bunch of, I remember the, the, the other thing that my dad used to quote in an irate voice that he heard on like Radio 4 or something was he, he heard an artist being interviewed, uh, some old fucking British like duffer kind of artist who went, well, you know, if I make a cup of tea and I'm an artist, then that cup of tea is art. And I remember my dad being like, fuck off. Yeah. And and I think that there's a lot about movies like this, and it's not just this movie, and it's not just just uh, other art movies that I've seen, but but there is a lot about movies like this that rings to me as wholly shallow, wholly hollow, um, completely um, devoid of authenticity, and yet somehow daring me to be pissed off at it because if i'm pissed off at it they're like yeah we got you like uh my art gave you an emotion or something do you know what i mean like that just like yeah, that yeah, shitty yeah, yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. like oh well we lassoed together a bunch of refrigerators covered them in tarpaulin and someone sat in a bubble and took a crap and because you're angry that it's so obviously a massive waste of time money energy space anything like it's such a waste of human endeavor because you're angry about that it's art like fuck off like it's so inauthentic and it's such wank and and this movie and the 40 minutes of putney swope that i watched reminded me of of those things where i'm just like nope you can't like you could some guy in a cravat could show up and talk to me till i'm blue in the face it's bullshit this is a (laughs) this is a childish amateurish 
um, entitled, entitled, ill-advised, uh, homophobic, uh, you know, wank rag. And it's just, I, you know, I'm I'm sorry that we watched it. I'm really. Really, as as bad as Burn Hollywood Burn was, it was at least like a car wreck where you were like, "Wow, these <laughs> all these millionaires showed up to just you know be in a horrible ten car pileup." This this <laughs> wasn't even that though. This was just uh, the only thing that I could gain any kind of remote interest from was how do you put all these people in a room and like i say it can only be that he got to the this point in his career and he's like everyone else thinks i'm a fraud these are the only people i can get to come to my parties like that's really how the, <laughs> how the casting was don't you think like eric idol leo rossi andrea martin uh uh robert downey jr obviously it's his son uh ralph macchio James Hong, like it's just such fucking like Jennifer Rubin. It's very weird. It's like someone just flicked through the rolodex of people who were, who weren't doing anything that week and were schlubbing about some, you know, uh, uh, low rent buffet down in the valley. <laughs> People were like, can we? And it can't have been at the cinema, right? It must have been because it was. A, I mean, I saw a four by three copy. Is that what you saw? Yeah, the four by three. Yeah. So it must have been for TV, it must have been or video, straight to video. No, that, that that that's not what that means. What that means is the only version that Amazon could find to stream was one that was probably uh, yes for video. It doesn't mean oh, the okay. movie was made for video. It oh, just see, means see, that whatever the ver- yeah. version that was available. Most movies that we watch now that are either one eighty five or you know some other version of widescreen. Um, it, it either means that their movie's relevant enough for them to go to the original film print, pull it, remaster it, and put it up, or they were movies that have been put out since the advent of DVD and Blu-ray where those formats favoured, even with the black bars, putting out the full the widescreen version rather than the full-screen version. You know, once TVs became even remotely widescreen, 16 by 9 or whatever... Uh, uh, DVDs and Blu-rays started to cater it. There's very few that are left that are like pan and scan or four by three or whatever. Okay, I know that. Okay, that, that, that makes sense. But back so when those we, movies came out, that was the only TV. Thing can we stop talking about it? Can we talk about our next season? Well, well, well. What I wanted to do very quickly was was okay. say we've covered we've covered four Eric Idle movies, and one might say four disparate. Eric Idle movies made by different directors with different concepts and different things. However, I don't know if you noticed, but however, uh, themes have emerged uh, throughout. Have, 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 have themes emerged? Themes have emerged. I did not um, remember themes Well, if, if you look at this and splitting airs, okay. um, you know, you've got... You've got uh, uh, ill-advised farce? You've, well, ill-advised farce, but you've got um, a, a fortune that could be lost to the wrong person. Uh, you've yeah, got okay. um, kids uh, that uh, have been separated from their parents. That's a theme that runs throughout a lot oh, of idle stuff. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, an insane asylum, which shows up in uh, uh, Burn Hollywood Burn and this. You've got um, uh, him, like, farcically romping around with women, uh, which which plays throughout. Um, you've got you know obviously money. Money plays a big part in it in, in Eric's 
uh, worldview. Yeah, money and motive. You're uh, right. I wonder if he's drawn because he hasn't made that many movies, and I am puzzled as to why he made. I'm sh- I can't believe he wasn't offered better movies. Right. Do you know what I mean? So the last two interesting things, I, I tried to do a deep dive and find someone saying something about this movie. I found some reviews, but the only thing I could find um, that uh, Eric Idle uh, talked about Too Much Sun was on <laughs> was on an episode of Aspel and Company. <laughs> wow. Michael Aspel, that bland vacuum of horror from a, from the 90s. And Idol was on there talking about uh, nuns on the run and um, breaking his back, because apparently he broke his back, he hurt his back. Um, but Aspel brings up, because he mentions, he was like, oh, I was just finishing a movie and then I fell over by my swimming pool and hurt my back. Uh, and Aspel goes, oh, was that movie too much sun that's been described as an underground sex comedy right that's what aspel says to him right right? right. to which eric idol like eric idol first of all shoots him daggers as if to go please don't bring up too much sun (laughs) but then he then he quickly responds with have you ever tried having sex on the underground which is actually a, a fairly funny line um and says like have you ever had a knee trembler near cockfosters um which, you know, is trying to divert it. But then Idol says, fairly knowingly, he's like, I don't really want to talk about that film, Michael, on a family show. <laughs> um, but you can see, like, when Aspel says too much, son, you can see Idol's face. <laughs> Just like go, oh, shit, did he see it? Like, is he going to bring it up? Like, you can see it on his face. Also, uh, other uh, other telling thing, Robert Downey Jr. was on the latest series of um, uh, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, the uh, uh, David Letterman show on Netflix. And he brings up, obviously Letterman brings up his father and his father's filmmaking and stuff like that. And there's a there's a little reaction by Robert Downey Jr. when he brings up his father's movies where and and he doesn't go too deep into it and he mentions Putney Swobe and a couple of others um but there's something where you see like a smile come across Robert Downey Jr.'s face as if to be like well my dad doesn't make real movies you know what I mean like you he doesn't yeah. he doesn't say it but he has a look on his face like yeah sure Dave movies uh <laughs> And so they're the only two, like, tiny little things that I could find about... Um, uh, in other words, what you're saying is, the only f- record you can find of people <laughs> talking about that movie are, are brief flashes of of either horror or denial yes. going across yes. behind the eyes of yes. people that were in, the, was, were in the movie, but that's it. Nobody came out and said anything on the record. All they said was, please, God, don't make me talk about it. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is 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 how I'd like to remember the outrageously bad Eric Idle film season. Is please God, don't make me talk about it. Uh, one 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 question I have though is because okay. there was that one year where we were doing Sleazy Spade of Springtime that you were like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'll just do one episode and then you find other people to do other episodes. Yeah, which has um, worked quite well, I think. No, I think you did most of the episodes this last year. I did, year. I did this year, but only because, to be fair, it was a, a plague. But uh, what I want to say is, has this not put 
Sleazy Spade of Springtime into... Oh, yeah. It makes me want to do Sleazy Spade of Springtime. It makes me, makes me want to do literally anything else. I made us... Well, I didn't make... Wait a minute. I keep saying that, like, I'm the driving force <laughs> hey, behind hey, the hey, Eric hey, Idle hey, season. Hey, okay. I'm okay. not well, the driving force. I guess we both did that. In a, in a, in a moment of plague madness, yeah. we both decided on this. We did. I don't lay the blame for the Eric Idle film season at your door, mate. No. I, there's only one person to blame Ooh. for the Eric Idle film season. If there's... A, is Eric, Eric Idle. That's Eric Idle. You're right. There's only one person to blame, and that's Eric Idle. If who is now officially your enemy, he is my you enemy. Played an enemy of Idol, which I think is delightful. The, but merely by going, can we talk about your movies? Because that's all it is, right? It's like, yeah. look, we picked four of your movies, and all we want to do is talk about them. And for that, yeah. you are now his enemy for life. That's I am his the enemy. Level for of life. denial that Idol is living in so, to his own work. So what happened most recently was I posted the Robert Wool interview, the aforementioned uh, Robert Wool interview, and I tagged Eric Idle. I was like, on this episode of, of uh, Booth Talk, I interview Robert Wool. We talk about Batman, Good Morning Vietnam, and Missing Pieces, which he starred in with Eric Idle, which is like a really fun romp that is ripe for rediscovery, or something like that, right? Eric Idle liked the tweet, and I was like, oh, he liked the tweet. That's awesome. He liked the tweet. And then about an hour later, once the tweet had about 20 likes and Robert Wall had retweeted it and, and, and other stuff, I went back scrolling through the likes and, and noticed that Eric Idle no longer liked the tweet. <laughs> so what that means he, is he, he liked the tweet. And he probably, all he had to do was visit the page and saw it as part of the outrageously bad Eric Idle films. He went, oh, this cunt. <laughs> and then I liked it. No, because the Robert Wool interview goes to Booth Talk. It didn't go to the outrageously yeah, bad Eric Idle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's not going to take much poking around the After Movie Diner website, is it, to come across what we think of Eric Idle and his movies? So true. But we did really like Missing Pieces. Yeah. Yeah, um, we did. So, oh, uh, quick thing. If you could find an 80s movie um, that you uh, remember from the video store that you haven't seen that has uh, Steve Gutenberg in it, yeah, okay. By the way, do you do you remember the movie Toy Soldiers? No. Cuz that's it's it's like right on the cusp. It's like 91, I think. It's not 80s. I'll happily give that go. I've never um, seen it. I've never seen it. I'd be happy to do that. But Keith Coogan and I talk about that a lot in the interview because that was the reason I got the interview because that's my favorite movie that he's in. Well, and do you want to do you want to do the movie and then like, if we do Toy Soldiers after that, would you release the interview after that, or yeah. just... No, the interview I can hold off. It's, it's the 30th anniversary of the movie this year. I'll happily do Toy Soldiers, and I'll happily do... What what movies is... I'll happily do Diner. I'll happily do, like, a Gutenberg movie. I really, really will. If, there, if there's a good Gutenberg movie that I haven't seen, brilliant. Let's do that. So, in, in my... Because uh, John was asking me about this. In my uh, lead-up to the Steve Gutenberg um, interview... I watched a bunch of Gutenberg movies that I've never, like I've, I'd never uh, seen before. Not the ones okay. that everyone would think of, uh, like Short Circuit and um, uh, um, Police Academy. But I watched like a few of the ones he did in between those movies, thinking like, oh, maybe there's a hidden Gutenberg gem in there. That there isn't. Um, <laughs> there yeah. isn't a hidden gem at all. Like, there's a movie called The Bedroom Window, which is sort of. Um, uh, it, it's it's by the guy you like who did uh, um, L.A. Confidential. It's by Curtis Hansen. Oh, yeah? Um, but it's so... Like, I almost want you to watch it, but at the same time, it's 
it's what it, it's definitely one of those movies that you're like it's a thriller right it's a thriller and it has a good concept and the concept of the thriller is um a man is having an affair with his boss's wife during said tryst on the night of a party so he's left his boss's party early his boss's wife has left the party she's turned up at his apartment they're doing the nasty while that's happening they hear he goes off to the bathroom she hears screaming outside the window opens the window to see a woman being mugged um uh by her open trying to open the window because the window's stiff but also by people uh showing up on the street and whatever the 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 mugger like looks up at her looks her right in the eyes um and then runs away it turns out that this guy who was trying to like mug and attack this woman also like horribly brutally like raped and killed two other women she can't go to the police oh i hate those movies I, I thought you would. But she no, can't go to the police. So Somebody's like, oh, I can't tell the police what I saw for reasons. So you have to tell the police you saw. And then the, most of the drama of the film is going to come from the fact that you're saying something right. that you didn't see that I saw. I fucking hate that. It's bollocks. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought you'd think that. That's I was I was going to say that like about 40 minutes into the movie, you're literally screaming at him like, you could end this now! Like... <laughs> And I hate that. Like, just tell the truth. Um, so, yeah. But for now, let's do Toy Soldiers and um, and I'll find a Gutenberg one. And Toy Soldiers, by the way, was definitely what like... What would you prefer to do first, by the way, in terms of, like, releasing of the interviews? Gutenberg or, or um, Toy Let's Soldiers? build up to Gutenberg. Let's do Toy Soldiers next. Okay. Toy Soldiers uh, is... But Toy, Toy Soldiers, to me, that, to me, is a prime video rental. Like, that, to me, was not... I know some people saw it in the cinema, but that, to me... No, 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 I agree. ...is, no, like, no, a no, proper... Yeah, and if me. you and if you can find like by the way i don't mind doing a i would love to do diner because that's kind of what i watched diner and that's what made me pursue the goots was was diner but it's not so much that that, that i wouldn't say that's like a, a prime of the rental era um you know sadly no, that's more of a like discovery on bbc2 or channel 4 and then it becomes your favorite and you write, record on vhs and watch it like 12 times because uh, you've been doing really well with interviews, go out there and get a, a couple of other interviews with people from you know that era, and we'll find a movie of theirs to talk about to celebrate. All right, let's do, let's do it. Let's do an interview season. That's more interesting, anyway. Okay, if you want to. No, I do because I I want people genuinely to subscribe to Booth Talk. Uh, not that Booth Talk will ever stop the after movie diner happening. Uh, I love doing the After Movie Diner, but um, I really love doing the interviews. The more uh, downloads, subscribers, sharers, retweeters, likers, commenters, reviewers, re- yeah, rate and review Booth Talk as well. But the more people we can get engaged with Booth Talk, I mean, everyone loves celebrity interviews. And, um, I- and I know that there are a ton of podcasts out there that do them, but I genuinely, genuinely think that some of the people I've, I've, I've spoken to, I've had really fascinating conversations with that you haven't heard anywhere else. Um, well, another thing we could do, which I, which I would be okay with, is if you've ever done an interview with somebody, right, who you think is really interesting, um, you know, you had a really good chat with them, and we never covered a movie of those. Like, Hyams, we covered a movie. Um, uh, you know, like a lot of people, we've covered a movie. But if there's someone that you interviewed that, you like, that we never actually ended up doing a movie of theirs, then we could do that movie, right? And then you could, like, link to the old interview. That would be fine. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, that too. I would love I would love for people to just subscribe to Booth Talk, really. Um, the, the, it's not every week, but when the interviews do come, I, I think they're decent and uh, they're always interesting. And I always try and get something out of them that you haven't heard on another show. And we're normally talking about movies that they never get a chance to talk about. Like, you know, Keith Coogan's always asked about the babysitting movies. He's rarely asked about Toy Soldiers. Um and uh, Gutenberg, you know, is mainly t- will mainly talk about Police Academy, and I got him talking about Diner. It, it, it is something that's close to my heart, and I and I hope people uh, enjoy. So subscribe, tell people about it, share it, like it, because um, uh, it's it's much harder than the after movie Diner to promote um, for some reason, and I don't know why. You would think interviews would be more popular than us rambling about shite, but. Um, uh, for for whatever reason, and I think maybe it's my fault for making it a separate podcast. Maybe I should have just kept putting the interviews uh, on the After Movie Diner like I used to. Maybe that would have been more successful. But I did it because I thought people who just like interviews, who just want to hear interviews, they are the unabashed, unedited, you know, interviews for you to just go listen to them. Uh, as opposed to, as I say, tacking it onto our wank. Um but maybe I was wrong. I don't know. Tell me I was wrong. Anyway, rate, review, comment, send me stuff. Um, and, and maybe, maybe what we try and do is shared anecdotes. We uh, we'll, we'll try and keep our our interview because I mean it's the way I work now. Anyway, it's better for me just to do like an hour long show. So maybe we try and stick to an hour long show for the interview um, movies, and then you bung the interview on the end and and by. Um, but also make it available through Booth Talk. But by doing that, you've been, by um, getting people familiar with your um, interviewing style, then by doing that, you can encourage them to check out other Booth Talk available. You know, just for the, just for this season, we'll do that, and that's your way of like getting them to subscribe to the yeah. To Booth well, Talk. like we did with the Pleasant thing, which actually kind of weirdly worked. I would like to do that with the interviews. Yeah, so let's do that. So, so if it, we'll do like a, we'll try and do a tight hour. Right of uh, of like toy soldiers, for example. Then put the interview with your man on the end, or just put the in- just just put the bit about toy soldiers on the end if you like. Whatever you want to do, and then booth talk is like where the whole thing is, or where it is just exists on its own. And just for the interview season, you feature booth talk within the diner, and that encourages people to check out the whole thing and rate and review and subscribe and, and all that. All right, cool. Let's all do right. it. Let's do it, mate. The month of interviews begins. That means I've got to find... Two more. Two, two more? Well, two yeah, because you're not going to watch Small Town Crime, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. Um, maybe. maybe. I think I'd probably... No. I mean, maybe. If you, if you, if you don't find anyone, if you, if you have trouble, then yeah, we can do that. That's no problem. No, I, it's fine. I'd much rather uh, some of the old 80s classics, and I'll try and get a couple more... See, if you can find somebody who's in Hawk the Slayer, I don't even know who the fuck was in Hawk the Slayer. Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> Hawk the Slayer. What was what was the? There were a few others. Like if I if I got a, I could try. What about Beastmaster? Mark Singer. I could try and talk to Mark Singer or Don Coscarelli. Coscarelli would be good, right? You'd like to talk to Coscarelli. I've met Coscarelli twice, but I've never I've never interviewed him. Well, there you go. He could be a good one, and then we could talk Beastmaster. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out of my way to try and get a Robert Downey Senior interview if he's still alive. Don't fucking no, no. <laughs> joking stop trying to get interviews with people that you hate that would be my advice yeah um i i I did tweet uh about this 
and tagged Robert Downey Jr. So um, <laughs> I don't know if, if that's going to Oh, my God. With Marvel money, you'll yeah. be shut down, mate. You'll, will, be yeah. like, you'll be like deplatformed. They'll yeah. deplatform you. You'll be on parlor. Um, but no, no one's uh, no one's responded except uh, my friend Craig Cohen. Oh, by the way, uh, my friend Craig Cohen, who runs the Conversations uh, from Jack Rabbit Slim's podcast, which I was a guest on, and that you should listen to because it was really cool. Um, but Craig Cohen said, "I don't think I've ever heard that one." To which I responded, uh, "It's certainly interesting." And then I said, I'll say one thing. The Robert Downey Jr. tune at the end is great. He does like a weird Bowie Cockney rocker that's actually kind of really funny and catchy. Did you ca- did you hear that at the end credits or did you not stay through the end credits? No, I didn't stay through the end credits. So uh, to play out this uh, mistake of a show, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be playing... Um, uh, we are going to be playing... The Robert Downey Jr. song, Too Much Sun, uh, because... Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say. Every other Eric Idle movie we've done has had an Eric Idle song attached, except this one, which has a Robert Downey Jr. song attached. Oh, there we go. I, I was, I'm sure you are going to finish it with your Eric Idle song, but if you want to finish with the Robert Downey Jr. song, it's all right with me, mate. My Eric Idle song? Yeah, you know, you're um, Eric Idle, the outrageously bad Eric Idle. Oh, did that already happen? That, that, that would have happened at the beginning of the episode, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't well, believe, I, you, I I can't believe you still haven't heard that. I can't believe you still haven't heard that. You still haven't listened no, to it. No, I have. I have heard it. I listened to the podcast uh, last week's one specifically just to hear the theme tune. And did you like it? Yeah, it was very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really your best, but it was pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I could tell your heart wasn't really in it. What? So, I mean, there's times when you get swept away and then you come back with genius. And there's times when halfway through you doing it, you just lose. You just don't know why you're doing it. What's the point? I mean, you finish it because you're game. You know what I mean? And you never leave a song unfinished. But I could tell when you're... Um, but don't you're you understand that that was part of the joke of the song? It's it's meant to be an Eric Idle song, and Eric Idle comedy songs are notorious for starting. You go, oh yeah, that's a funny observation, and then halfway through you're like, oh wait, that he's just doing that then, and then it ends, and you're like, then it was too meta for me, mate. Yeah, that was the whole point. That's the whole thing I was trying to do. When well, with- you succeeded admirably. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all gone wrong. And let's, let, let's end the outrageously bad Eric on that, film yeah, on season. That, on that misguided note. With a whimper, not a bang. Uh, <laughs> thanks ever so much for doing this. Next week we'll be talking about toy soldiers, and we will have a Keith Coogan interview for you. Exciting. Hi, guys. What? Wow. Yeah, I know I'm late. <laughs> I know I'm late, I just got in. Listen, I don't want any cough and don't be a prep, alright? It's like I got hung up over LAX for like two hours and I just touched down. Listen, you're on my dollar, so let's get with it, alright? Oh, one, two, three, rock. Chan, chan. My name is Phil. And here's my song.
my skin's all wrong. Too much sun. I spray my zinc on the sink and it feels so real. All I want is a With a steel wheel feel, hit it, keep. Life is a dog nipping at my heel. I've had too much sun. My skin is all flaky. Too much sun. A rock star in the making. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.